Shirts on. Mics on. No, no more dick, dick jokes. <laughs> okay, so uh, welcome to our fifth podcast. Five already? Yeah, five. Wow. We are doing this podcast episode on A Man Called Otto with Tom Hanks. Not to be confused with the book A Man Called Ove or Ove, nor the original movie that was made for it, A Man Called Ove, Ove, hard to say. Uh, yeah, the most recent. Right. Both, uh, well, both. This movie is based off of that book. Um, however, it is an American version because that book is based like off of a Swedish story. Um, so this is an Americanized version of that story. Um, and we are talking pretty strictly about the film. I've read some of the book, haven't finished it. Um, I haven't very, even very started similar. the book. And I haven't seen the original movie. <laughs> so... For most of you, that would actually probably be a relief that we will be sticking strictly to the movie here. So, uh, Carrie, summary. <laughs> it's not I'll easy. I'll jump huh? in at the ending if you need. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so this is a uh, curmudgeon, grumpy man. Uh, apparently, we like those. And he. <laughs> Uh, you meet him in the in a hardware store buying rope, and then you will find out soon that um, this is the part where if you haven't watched the movie, go watch it because we're about to spoil the shit out of it. Uh, but <laughs> Hello, Carrie. <laughs> <laughs> oh, right. Sorry. Uh, I was on a boat for a month. Leave me alone. Okay. So um, we meet him in a hardware store. He's buying rope, and you soon learn that he is uh, on a mission to end his life. And all of his attempts keep getting interrupted. So uh, they get interrupted because um, it doesn't, he has like material failures, but then as the movie goes on and on, um, he gets interrupted by life. So there's a new couple and their and their family. So a new young family, uh, two, two daughters and a kid on the way who move in across the street from him. And uh, she is Mexican. Uh, her her dad is from El Salvador. Her mother is Mexican. They lived in El Salvador. They lived in Mexico. They moved. Da, da, da. So, and then uh, her husband is from, <laughs> yeah, her, her, and her husband is from Anaheim or El Paso. Hard to say. <laughs> Anaheim <laughs> or El Paso. <laughs> And um, they keep intruding into his life and an unlikely friendship sort of strikes up with them. Uh, and so, and you get to see, as with all these movies that we like, uh, sort of flashbacks to how we, how we arrived here. So you understand that he had a young wife. Uh, she was his whole life. He had these friends down the street who were neighbors in this little like community that's gated. It's, it's not a gated community the way that we think of a gated community. It is literally a street with a gate <laughs> because it's not a through street. And so he's sort of the self-appointed like policeman of the, to make sure that everybody's following the rules. And he goes around every morning making his rounds, taking cans out of trash cans and putting them in the right trash cans and opening and closing the gate and making sure that everybody has their parking permit and yada, yada, yada. Uh, and that's sort of his life. And you understand that there was a moment in which he and his neighbor Ruben did this together. And then there was a coup. And then and so now he's at odds with everybody. He has no friends. He has no family. He's alone and angry and trying to kill himself. And his attempts keep getting interrupted. Uh, and then this family moves in and sort of like ruins all of his plans in all the senses. And uh, yeah, that's the gist of the movie. And it's beautiful. So I first went to go see this movie and I was totally floored. Like I went to go see it in the theaters by myself. Wasn't expecting much. Um, I go see movies frequently by myself. Um, and I'll just like, I have that movie pass that you can go see like three a week in the theaters, you know? And so I was, you know, just pick anything that looks decent and I'll go check it out. Cause what do you got to lose at that point besides time? <laughs> and so <laughs> I was sitting there and 
I was just absolutely amazed. Like, I started texting people as soon as I left. I texted Carrie. I mean, I texted Enrico. I texted my brother. I was like, have you seen this? And um, Carrie responded. She was like, what's it about? And I I said, well, it's about this man who's super grumpy. And this family, like, moves in across the street from him. And they, like, totally interrupt his life. And then I said, well, technically they're interrupting his... And I was like, never mind. You just have to go watch it because <laughs> really they're interrupting his death. And I couldn't say that because that gives up way too much. Right. Because I mean, opening scene, like Carrie said, he's buying rope and you're not supposed to know that he's buying rope to go hang himself in his living room. Like uh, he gets home and the phone rings and he picks up the phone and he's like having this conversation with someone who sounds a little suspicious. And then he's, as the conversation continues, they say something about like health insurance or whatever. And he's like, oh, no, robot, 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 robot. And he like calls all the phone companies, and has his phone disconnected and then calls the power company, has his power disconnected. And you're like, wow, this guy is like really grumpy. And then he vacuums his living room floor and then you realize, like, as he's putting the hook in the ceiling, you're like, oh, no, he's, like, setting everything in order, you know, to kill himself. And that's when he's, like, setting this hook up, and he has the, like, noose around his neck, and he's looking out the window, and he sees, like, Marisol and her nitwit husband trying to park <laughs> this truck in the trailer, like... He's trying to parallel truck it, uh, parallel park it on the street, and he can't do it. And he's like, "Are oh, you gonna be kidding me?" And he takes the noose off his neck and goes outside and gets the guy out of the car and parks the car for him on the street like in one go, which is just absolutely <laughs> wow, like a just hilarious. Just that in one shot. <laughs> I know, and it's so funny too because Marisol says all these things in. Uh, she uses so much Spanglish in the movie, and I love it. Like. Half the things she says in Spanish absolutely crack me up. Um, like, when he walks... Tom Hanks, like, absolutely in the grumpiest manner, parallel parks this truck and... Or this car and trailer perfectly first time round, right? And then he's like... He says something about the park it perfect, goes in the window, not in your pocket, and he heads back into his house. And the husband looks at his wife and he's like, wow, that was so nice. And Marisol says, mm, más o menos. Like, more or less. <laughs> She's kind of like, yeah, that guy was a grump. Like, that wasn't that nice of him. <laughs> and he's yelling, like, about, like, her, about the car. And she goes, am I in the car? Am I driving? Am I driving in a car? <laughs> oh, my gosh. I just love watching her. Every time she, like, throws her hands back and her hair goes everywhere. She's just, like, so... She, she's such a great character. And she has, like, this wonderful sense of humor. Um, like I said, like, the things that she says in Spanish crack me up. Like, when they're in the hospital, right, after... Um, this is like jumping ahead towards like 20 minutes left in the movie. I mean, they find out like when she finds out that Otto has this heart problem, he has an enlarged heart and then in a hospital and he's collapsed after he's collapsed on the sidewalk. And the doctor comes in, the cardiologist, and she starts talking to um, Marisol and she says like, oh, you were listed as next of kin. Uh, you know, it says here that you're the niece. Has your uncle talked to you much about his condition? And she says no. And so then she tells him, like, uh, what Otto has. And she says, uh, it means that he has an enlarged heart. Essentially, his heart is too big. And she, like, she whispers under her breath, like, no manches. (laughs) 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 Which is like, you've got to be kidding me. Like, don't joke with me. And then she just starts cracking up. And then she turns to Otto and she says to him, you're really bad at dying. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. And it's like, you don't even know, sister. You don't even know. Like, (laughs) no, because at that point, he's already told her. Like, he, he, this was right. He's already told her. Oh, that's right. That's right. He had all his plans. So, 
This yeah, is the thing. And she's I, laughing. She goes, I You know. are really bad at dying. <laughs> I know. She just like cracks up absolutely. So she, I mean, I could talk about her this whole time because I just think she's like fantastic. But um, I was thinking about her when I was watching it this time. She is not a pushover who's just dying for attention, right? She's not a pregnant lady who's a stay-at-home mom who isn't seen by her nitwit husband or dying for adult conversation because she's surrounded by kids, right? She's building a friendship with a particular human. Because this moment after she suggests to Otto, like, you've helped us so much. Like, why don't I help you? Maybe I can help you clean out your wife's things from your home, like clean out the front hall, you know, because he still has his wife's jackets, like hanging on the coat rack by the door and whatnot. And she says, like, um, why don't I help you pack up some of those things? And he gets angry and he shouts at her, all those things. And so then like he goes back in his house and he shuts her out. And so when he shows back up at her house um, and she opens the door, like, and he's on a mission, right? There's all this happy music like playing because he's going to, he's like coming back to life and he's helping the neighborhood and he's going to stop Ruben from getting put in the home. He's going to stop Anita from having the household and all these things. And, like, you listen, there's all this happy music. Like, Otto's coming back to life, and the neighborhood's coming, gonna be, like, this real community for him and everything. And he shows up at the door, and the happy music's still playing, and her, she's been crying. And she, he says, I need to use your phone. And she says, no. And the music stops. And if she was just, like, an attention-starved person, she would have been like, you're back. You know, thank goodness you're back. Or and even she if she was just a nice person. Like right, if, exactly. If her she mission was in life like was to be nice. Right. If she was just like harping on Otto, like you need to be kinder. She's like, this is my um, a point to show him you should be nice all the time and just let him in. But she loves him by calling him out in kind of the same way that you see like Sonia calling him out in the flashbacks that it's like asking him questions about why he does the things that he does. You know, she lets him be him, but she wants to know why he is him. Same way um, when they're on the date and she doesn't, she notices like he's eating the soup and she's having a steak. And she says, why didn't you order an Andre? Um, and you can tell she suspects, but she like wants to hear it from him, you know, like. And then um, she's surprised because it's even better than she like, she had an idea of like she understood the the fact right it was for it was for the money but then she gets to hear him say i ate at home so that you could have whatever you wanted right she expected something i expected something along the lines of well i can't afford two entrees and i don't you know like whatever uh something like mm -hmm. that but the like the overabundance of i ate at home uh, I ate already, so I'm not starving. I ate already so that you could have whatever you want. Yeah. And, like, that's so unexpected. And I think that's my favorite thing about Otto is that first moment of this, like, this first scene of this movie, it, like, opens up and the first scene is this store called Busy Beaver. And then <laughs> he's in there buying rope. And, like, he's got, like, one loop in it. And I was like, uh-oh, what is that for? You know, he's, like really pulling on it and I was like oh no Testing the uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah like the flex in this thing right um are you a busy beaver yeah what's that thing a PA system um the PA system goes are you a busy beaver he goes no I am not it's like mm, lies <laughs> you know <laughs> sure. but from like the first moment of this of this movie I think I have him figured out right he's a curmudgeon He's angry at life. He's trying to end his life. Like, okay, got it. But the most, the best part is that there are all these surprises. Mm -hmm. And they're not just um, for when they're, like, the surprises didn't end when Sonia died. Right. And he thinks that they did. He thinks that there was nothing before and there's nothing after. And so why? Why keep Which on that, moving? That line I wrote down, right? That he says, like, because when she says, like, let me help you clean out the house, 
stop. He he yells at her and he says, stop talking. And she's like, okay, no, don't shout at me. And he says, why can't people stop talking? The more they babble, the more they drown out the sound of her memories. I don't want to clear her out of my life. There was nothing before her and there's nothing after her. And he turns around and Marisol's standing there and she says, I'm something. Yeah, that was, that was an incredible moment that I, I caught the first time, but like was really like hit with the second time, knowing how it all plays out. Um, Mm -hmm. And how like, she's almost like, she's a little like teary at that point, right? She's hurt when he says that there's nothing and she says, I am something. She's a little bit hurt and she's a little bit scared. And there's a lot of risk in that scene. Every, that whole scene is a lot of risk. When she comes up and says, you've done a lot for us. I want to do something for you. What if we help you clear out your wife's things? That's a risk. Number one, very big risk. Um, Because I remember sitting there in the theaters and thinking, oof, what if he's not ready? Like, I wasn't Mm -hmm. like, oh, money soul. That's so sweet. (laughs) Like, I was like, oh, but it's his wife's stuff, you know? And, like, this is, like, having my mom just pass away. I mean, yeah, over a year now. But I'm like, man, you gotta just, like, make the man box up her stuff and get rid of it. But, like... It's not so much that the stuff is sitting out, it's that you see the symptom of what happens with the stuff sitting out is that he's not living, right? And and you and see the side says. effect, like, right, is that, like, he says, the more people babble, the more it drowns out the sign of, or the sound of her memories, which is, like, a clear sign that that's where he wants to stay. He wants to stay in the memories. Like, he goes to the grave and he keeps apologizing. I'm sorry, I'm not there yet. Like, that's the only place he wants to be. And so that's the problem with the fact that Sonia's coat is hanging in the foyer. Like, it's not that her stuff is taking up too much space, right? It's that he wants to just be where the memories are. And he's not recognizing what's right in front of him. There are all these moments. Gosh, like when, what's his name? Tommy, the husband. When he falls off the roof. (laughs) <laughs> and they like take him she like gets him gets Otto to take her to the hospital and they go and there's like this adorable scene I think this is when I like first absolutely fell in love with the movie was during this whole scene of them in the waiting room and it's Otto and the kids and they're like playing with the uh, luchadoros and they he's like watching this happen and he starts asking questions and then Abby like sits up in his lap with a book and the other girl's like she wants you to read to her (laughs) okay and so he opens the book he's like baby bear baby bear where's my baby bear and she's like that's not a bear voice you have to talk like a bear bears don't talk well this bear talks and he's like Baby bear, oh baby bear. <laughs> he starts doing the baby bear voice. And it's like, he doesn't change who he is. He does it as himself. Like, he's still kind of stiff and awkward, but he, like, is doing the bear voice, you know? Um, and after all of that, he punches the clown over the co- <laughs> over the quarter, and they start calling him Abuelo Luchadoro, which I just absolutely love. And they get back in the car. And this is one of Marisol's humor moments, right? As she looks at him, she says, my father used to smile like that. And he says, I'm not smiling. And she says, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) And then, like, the dad gets in the car and he's, like, in traction. And they're all, like, the girls are just, like, singing in the backseat. And the car is, like, crammed with life. And he drops them off. And the family's life is not perfect. I mean, it's chaotic. And she he thinks that, like, this woman is married to a nitwit and all of these things. He calls him Alvin Wrench. He's like, oh, what about Alvin Wrench? Is he coming? Because <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> that's what the guy insists on. Alvin Wrench is called. It's an Alvin Wrench. 
just like, what about Alvin Wrench? Is he coming? And even tells uh, Sonya that. He says, this guy, like, he got, he doesn't know the difference between a wrench and a chipmunk. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> but he, like, gets out of that car and he goes and he opens up the garage door and he sees the hose laying there on the garage floor. Which just reminds him this hose that he had just attached to his um, muffler, right, and stuck through the window when he was interrupted by Marisol to drive her to the hospital. And it's like this reminder of like what's waiting for him and what he was doing before. And it's kind of funny because I kept wanting to say, oh, it's what snaps him back to reality. But it's almost like these people keep snapping him back to reality it's such an interesting thing to say, oh, no, it snaps him back to reality that he's trying to kill himself. But what's actually happening is the fact that, no, this family's, like, snapping him to what reality actually is instead of, like, this contrived situation he has stuck himself in of living in these memories and what he has convinced himself this is reality. Right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's so it's super apropos that you wanted to text me like this family keeps interrupting his death because it is. <laughs> it's like all of this life is interrupting his attempts. And right. even when the man like falls, falls into the train. Right. He sees that and immediately like is trying to save a life. And he does it without thinking. Everybody else pulls out their phone, which is like really exaggerated they really did. So, I mean, he, see, like, he sees the man who falls into the train who he could have been like, ah, oh, perfect. He and him, like me and him together. <laughs> like, but instead he's, <laughs> but instead he's like pulled in immediately to, oh no, like that's a life that needs saving. Right? right. Like you have to help. You have to do something. Even the first time he gets down from his noose, granted it wasn't going to hold anyways, but the first time he gets down from his noose, it's because he's irritated at somebody trying to park a trailer. Like, what does he care? He's trying to die. Yeah. But he can't stand watching people be idiots. And people being idiots is all part of life. So, like, he life draws him in through precisely his temperament. Like, precisely right. the mm. thing that is him is what, is what, like, keeps beckoning him back into into life it's not it's not through something nice it's not through something like rainbows clouds and puppy dogs or even a cat right it's like <laughs> Such it's cat. precisely through his curmudgeonness that he's invited back into the land of the living mm -hmm. and i love that you brought up um the, the the happy like when he's finally like decides to live and the music starts up and da da da, da and then she says no and the music stops. I was I was paying attention this time around, and, and I didn't notice it until the first song started. Uh, and it's it was it's during a memory. It's the memory of um, what is he in the car? I think so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's in the car eating the cookies, and uh, whatever flashback he's having then is the first time that there's music. A song. The song plays. It's like about getting burned by love. Right. And um and I realized, oh, this is the first music that's been in this whole movie. Suicide attempt number two. And also first music, right? And then it ends and, and so but then it, it starts to come up like more and more frequently. He goes to visit Sonny, he's sitting at the grave, the cat's in his lap, music is playing again. And that time when he brings the cat, the flowers that he changes out, the the ones he, he removes are dead. Before that, the flowers have been totally, like, they're just a little bit wilted, which means that he's going less and less, like, the, the times between visits is getting longer and longer because now these flowers are actually dead, right? Hmm. Whereas before they were just yesterday's flowers, you know? <laughs> <laughs> when, when, he, when the hook comes out of the ceiling... I think that was one of the unexpected humorous moments of the movie. The hook comes out of the ceiling, and this guy's trying to hang himself in his living room, and he collapses on the floor, and he's lying there, like, 
in his shame of not being able to properly do this, you know, because they can't even make good hardware anymore. And nothing yeah. works and whatever. He's lying there on top of this newspaper. He is carefully put down so that nothing's amiss when people have to come in and clean the house and all this stuff. And he looks at the newspaper and he sees a deal for flower bouquets and he rips it out and goes to buy his flower bouquets to take <laughs> two for eight to the grave. <laughs> Two for eight bucks. And he even like tells her and he doesn't he doesn't tell her I you know, he puts on the flowers, he goes, Ah, oh, there's a deal, two for eight bucks, and like sits down. And and you're just like it's so there are so many incongruencies, right? That like he he just fell from hanging by his neck and there are flowers that he can buy on the cheap for his dead wife, you know, like it's just it's <laughs> But that's who he is. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, um, no, but then the more we go, like the closer we get to the end, it's the music plays more and more often. Right? In the beginning, like, I mean, you're 45 minutes Mm -hmm. into this thing before you get the first song. And then the songs happen more and more frequently. There's not like a constant soundtrack, but it, they start to get strung together. And... Like, the more he's alive, the more the music plays. And the more he's alive, the harder he is on his heart. And the more he lives, like, the closer he gets to getting put in a hospital bed because of his big heart. But yeah. this time around, I did not, I didn't realize... <laughs> I didn't realize how soon the girls started calling him abuelo. But it's, like, right away. Oh, it's yeah. right, right away. away. And when and when uh, Marisol gives him the picture and she says, uh, you know, Abby drew it for you, and she always draws you in color. And he says, "What do you mean always?" And she doesn't answer him. She's on to some, she's on to the next thing. <laughs> what do you think if you taught me how to drive? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, she's like yeah. sitting there sucking out a lollipop. Oh, what right. about you teaching me how to drive? But she always draws you in color. That's juxtaposed with. What he says to her later when he's yelling at her that my life, like we yes. were back, or no, he tells her this in the coffee shop after he's her to drive. Yeah, it's at their the one, 1 p.m. Uh, Claire date, that, uh, you know, we were totally different. Um, we were night and day. I was black and white, uh, and she brought color to my life. And it's like, that's not true because Abby, who, when he first is parking the trailer, he turns around and there's these two girls in the back seat, and they're like, "Hello, like I'm Abby, I'm Luna," and he's like Otto, and and she's, and he he's like, oh, "Oh, like Otto," and she goes, "Hi, Otto, O T T O," you know, which I love because she says like Otto, and he's like Otto, O T T O. And she's like, okay, O-T-T-O. And then she's like, I'm Abby, O-T-T-O. And then later, when um, Tommy and Marisol come over to the house, she's like, we just wanted to properly introduce ourselves. And he says, okay. And uh, she says, he says, I'm Otto. And she says, Alto. And he says, Otto. And she <laughs> says, that's what I said. It's, she's like, that's what I said, Alto. It's the same. And um, he said, no, Otto. O-T-T-O. And she goes, oh, okay, okay, okay. I hear it. And then, like, Tommy's like, it's like, you just don't hear that name very much anymore. And he goes, I do. (laughs) (laughs) But then, like, throughout the movie, she keeps calling him Otto. And he was, like, very particular in, like, this is how you say my name. This is how you spell it so that you can spell it so you can say it correctly, right? And then when he knows, like, he's dying... And he sits down, he writes this note, and he's very particular. Like, they show him writing the note and with the white out, and he's like, come on, Otto, you know, and he's he wants to get everything just right in the note. The last thing, when he does the sign-off, he says, like, love, abuelo, Otto. And it's voiced over by him, and that's how he says his name. And I just thought that was so beautiful. Such a, a mark on, like, the recognition of how loved he was by them, how much a part of him they became. Yeah. Uh, the coffee shop thing you mentioned, that is my favorite scene. 
the whole thing from when they start to drive and they go to the coffee shop, the driving, oh my gosh, her panic attack in the car, you know, and then like the guy freaking out at the green light and stuff and she's like having a meltdown and he gets back in the car and he tells her like all of these things about like, you are not an idiot. Like you came to a different country, you learned a different language, you've given birth to two children, soon to be three. You got yourself an education <laughs> and a <new> husband. <laughs> You're surrounded by idiots and idiots like learn to drive every day and you are not a complete idiot. And clutch, shift, guess. This is like the biggest compliment. It's not even a compliment. Like this is the biggest sign of affection, I think, that he can offer her is like, he, since when does he say anything? The man can't give a compliment to save his life. So when does he say anything right. he doesn't mean? He's like a man of very few words who only says what is absolutely necessary. And then they go to this coffee shop and they have this conversation where she like asks about his wife and he starts talking about his wife, the teacher. And every time he talks about like his wife, the teacher, um, also the thing when you first meet Malcolm and Malcolm talks about like having his wife as a teacher, like I was in tears. I mean, not going to lie. This is like teacher sap thing. I was like, Oh my gosh. Um, but he said the thing about his wife, like starting this program for kids with like social anxieties and trouble at home and all this stuff. And he's like, by the end she had them, they were reciting Shakespeare. And I just like, you think about it, this line like rolls over, like it's no big deal, but I just was tonight I was watching this movie and it made me think of like the student that I've been meeting with who is in the 11th grade and can't read and I've been like um, meeting with him after school to teach him vowels and um blended vowels and we finally got through um we got through like consonant vowel consonant words and then we finally got him to master blended vowels and we were almost like both in tears by the end of it because of just out of excitement and i turned to him i was like dude i'm so proud of you i said you should be so proud of you are you proud of yourself and he looked at me and he said mr i'm proud of you you taught me that <laughs> and I was like okay get out of here like before I cry you know like um and so I just like I don't know when he was saying this to her I just felt the weight of that like his like pride in her for that accomplishment you know I thought that that whole scene was so sweet and how precious that he's opening up and sharing with her because, I mean, he didn't even want to talk about yeah. the countertops with her, you know, previously. Yeah. And it's like, it's little by little because at a certain point, then she asks about the kids and, oh, it's two o'clock. You know, like, we can't, she keeps, yeah. she keeps finding where the line is and, and lets him move it back at his own, like at his own pace. But she wants to go all the way up to the edge and little by little, he's letting her in. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you see from the flashbacks and then you see, you know, his like countenance, if you want, when he's remembering these things. But then you also see, but now we get to see him talking about it in real time, right? And like the way his face changes and softens in real time. Yeah. Uh, when he's talking about his wife in the past tense and not just remembering, not just like being put back in those memories and how much admiration he has for this woman he was married to and then you can see that she was the only one who really held that level of admiration until they're in the car and he's telling marisol like after because at this point he's seen the degrees on the wall he's seen her um Mm. you know the way that she just is right he's been around a little bit and because he, he told her she wasn't an idiot, he taught her to drive. Like he, he realized she wasn't an idiot before he saw the the degrees on the wall. But then when he's watching the girls, he goes and he sees like, oh, she's like really accomplished. 
okay. And you see that same level of admiration Mm -hmm. for Marisol that he had for Sonya, has for Sonya. And it's this thing of you're not a total idiot. And so you and I, we are the same. (laughs) Right? (laughs) Which I love that he didn't need to see the degrees to know that. Exactly. Exactly. Right. Like he didn't need to see like a CV from her Mm -hmm. in order to realize that she had worth and was like a good person, like not a total idiot. Yeah. But I think he senses the same sort of intelligence in her that he has for his, you know, his wife that he says she would read. We'd spend the afternoon reading. And she says, what kind of books? He says, all her books, (laughs) you know, I tried to read some of them, but I'm, I'm not, you know, I don't like books, um, but he can tell, like, the, he doesn't like books because he can't, because he can't figure them out. They're not, they don't, they don't have a suck, squeeze, bang, blow. Yeah, like, it's not a thing that he can take apart and put back together and, like, help it to run, right? It's a, it's a life that you have to get immersed into, and the only life he could ever immerse himself in was Sonya's. And when she was dead, that was it. Like he didn't know how to live. And in all of these little flashbacks at the end, when she tells him, take my hand and that's enough of this. And you know, all these things you have to live. He understood when she told him that back in the day, like you have to keep, you have to keep living. He understood that he had to live with her, but if there's no her, then there's no living. And Mm -hmm. it's Marisol who, pulls him out and makes him take the next step, which is, no, 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 all of life beckons you. Like, Sonia was was a, was a the particular doorway through which you had to pass to see that all of life is here for you. Right. I like that you said that was the particular doorway because I, do ha- I had this problem when I was watching it tonight, and I love when, he, so when he shows up at the door and she says, no, you can't use the phone. You know, like, you left me out there. I was worried. You didn't tell me anything. You don't ever tell me anything about you, blah, 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 all these things, whatever. And so he says, I need to use your phone because the real estate bastards are trying to take the house from Anita and Ruben. And she says, okay. And she gives him the phone. And he picks up the phone. And before he makes the phone call, he freely tells her more, right? Like, he shows like a gesture of friendship by telling more about himself. And that's when he tells her like about how Sonia was paralyzed in this bus accident. They lost the child in this bus accident. Then she died of cancer six months prior and that he's been trying to kill himself like um, in order to rejoin her. And then he says, but um, now I think Sonia wants me to live. And I've got things to do. And I was kind of disappointed when I heard that line because I was like, yeah, but also you just have like life in front of you and you have people in front of you. Like you don't need Sonia to tell you you have to live. So I like that you say like, okay, this is like the doorway through which this happens. You're right. Like it's not like he goes back to the grave every day and then just waits to die naturally like he does really live life in fact what does he do he takes the whole family to the grave and literally introduces them and tells them like oh girls you picked like she loved pink flowers you chose well and tommy says i like pink No, because and and he gets the new truck, and then they're driving in the truck, and he turns to Muddy Soul and he says, "This is really living." Yes, and when he's in there, um, I think it's the the moment when he has all the like stuff in his arms of um, for Nita and Ruben, and he's gonna do all this stuff, right? And she hands him the phone, and he like looks over at the wall, and there's all these pictures. In his house, there are a few tastefully put things on the wall a mirror lots of mirrors right because he's always like looking in the mirror and then looking like looking at the mirror seeing a a memory and then like looking back over his shoulder and seeing real life which is something different he's always seeing something in a mirror but in Mary Saul and Tommy's house 
there's pictures of life happening, right? So it's not just you reflected back at yourself. It's something something real that happened, right? And then at the end of the movie, he's in all those pictures. And that's the other thing I like about this movie is that you can say, oh, it ties a nice little bow on it and everything, but little by little, his resistance to living gets peeled away. And the first time I had that thought was the first time I watched this movie when he's going up for the shotgun and he grabs the plastic off of the ba- off of the crib. Right. And it's like this very particular moment in which mm. the crib is now not under a dust sheet anymore. Now it's out in the open, ready to get used. But the only reason it is that way is because he took the plastic that was covering it so that he could blow his head off and not make a mess. Right? Like, so it, like, it, the, the layers get peeled back through precisely his ridiculous plans. Not in a different way. Yeah. And, hmm. and it's like perfect that Marisol has two, like two little girls who are very happy to, you know, melt his heart or whatever. But then there's a little boy on the way and he was waiting for a little boy, you know? So it all gets like recapitulated. I don't know if that's the right word or not, but it all gets reproposed and he gets another, like he gets a shot to look at it again. And when he's holding the picture that Abby draws for him, that she always draws him in color, and he sees in the mirror Sonia sitting on the bed saying, you're going to be the best father our children could ever ask for. And then he looks over his shoulder and it's the cat sitting there, you know, <laughs> or it's empty. I think it's empty at that point. Right. But like there, she was the particular door through which all of these things got like all of these promises got made to him. And then she died. And it seemed like all those promises were betrayals. There was the promise of the baby and the baby died, right? There was the promise of this happy life with this, with these friends. And then Sonia can't walk. And now the HOA doesn't care about her. And he has to build her own countertops and build the ramp and like make it, you know, and like he's the only one fighting for all of these things. And it's this like betrayal. And then, um, well, it's okay because I have her and we have our little routine and everything's fine. And then she gets cancer and then she dies and I'm betrayed again, right? And like all of these things... But he wouldn't even, he didn't even have, he didn't even have the sense of these things that were promised to him until there was Sonia. Like life made him this big promise through Sonia. And then it seemed like little by little he got betrayed. But then she's dead. And now this family moves in and little by little life keeps these promises to him in ways that you couldn't have imagined. And it keeps it and it keeps it. Through his, like, through who he is. It doesn't, he's never overwhelmed by something that's outside, like, it's, it, it sneaks in through his suicide attempts, you know? Like, precisely in his suicide attempts. Yeah. And I love that you were saying the thing about, like, through his temperament and stuff. Like, one of the things I really appreciated about this movie, two things I was going to say was that one, it's not that people were trying to change who he was. So I'm going to go through my first point, actually, was that the neighborhood didn't just like Sonia. And that became apparent to me. And it's not just like, oh, he lives with like a bunch of really friendly people. Because I love Jimmy a lot, right? Like this guy who's always like getting his steps in. (laughs) And... um. When he comes into the house with this freezing cat <laughs> um, and the pregnant woman can't be around it because Duxel. of the <laughs> <laughs> and uh, they bring it into Otto's house and they're in the kitchen because she's got to turn the oven on for heat because the power's out, right? And so they're in the kitchen. She asks about the countertops like, oh, your countertops are so low. Where did you get them? And... He says, I built them for my wife. And um, she says, oh, is she short? Is she short too, like me? Like these are perfect for me. Right. She says like, oh, is she short too? And she uses the present tense, which I thought was funny because it's like, you've seen no sign of this woman whatsoever. And you use the present tense. 
And then Jimmy says, like, oh, Sonya passed away, right? But he, like, continues to talk about how, like, they used to have lunch in the house all the time and stuff, like, all together with Sonya and Otto. And, like, he has this extreme tenderness in his voice, the way he talks about it. And it's not the tenderness of an idiot. Right. (laughs) To use Otto's favorite word. Because, like, yeah, Jimmy seems like he is an idiot. But it's not just because he is, like, lightheaded or whatever. Like, um, light of brain. (laughs) (laughs) It occurs to me at that moment that, like, these people also love Otto. Mm Mm-hmm. Like, because of the way Sonya was around them and stuff, like, like not just because of the wife and who she was, but because they were able to see him, I think, as she saw him, and they still love him. So it's not like, oh, yeah, that was Sonya and that was Otto, you know? Yeah. We miss Sonya, and we still have Otto. And so the thing is, is that they don't try to, like, force Otto back into like the way he was with Sonya or whatever. Instead, one of the beautiful things that I think like when they want to like spend time with him is what do they do? They start joining him on his rounds. Yes. Like they don't force him to stop doing them. Right. They're not like, this is crazy. Nobody cares about this shit. Like, Malcolm, you know, moves into the house with Otto or whatever. He crashes on the couch and they, like, (laughs) Otto starts teaching Malcolm how to grab that thing. Take this (laughs) can out of this and move into that one. Okay. Obviously, he could figure out how to sort the recycling. But, like, it's very particular and he lets Otto teach him how to do it. Right? And then they go down the sidewalk and he just looks at the cars. Yes. Yes, yes, this car has its permit, whatever. And Jimmy sees something. He's like, oh, mind if I join? I need to get my steps in. Oh, you want to slow down? My beats are up. time jimmy's in the scene i just crack up like when he brings back the cat and he's like oh i forgot i, forgot I was, I was allergic. allergic and oatmeal did not help and he's just like waving his hand at his neck and, it's and she goes red. tommy has a prescription that expired a year ago and she goes but don't itch yeah yeah because but don't itch i feel like i should itch don't itch yeah i know um but yeah, the way they start joining him in on his rounds, instead of trying to get him to stop doing them, shows this love for Otto that encompasses his freedom for who he is, too. Mm-mm. And I really love that. It's the same thing. I mean, I feel like this is going to be a really the- a big theme in our podcast. It's like, and they didn't fix him. And they didn't change who he was. He just became more himself. Life didn't get fixed. They just lived (laughs) yeah no no no. now you've heard all our podcasts (laughs) exactly yeah (laughs) spoiler alert uh (laughs) um and i noticed it right off on the first one the first time through and then again this time through that everything is a hand held out to him like a, a a figurative but also a literal hand held out to him right and the first time you see him asleep in his bed which who in the world are these two people who both sleep on their backs, like, and don't drive each other crazy with the snoring? But um, <laughs> he, like, lays there with his hand open, and he's missing her who put, like, one finger in his hand, right? Then there's another scene in which he's, like, holding tight her one finger, and they're sleeping in the bed. And then when he goes to see Ruben the first time to bleed the radiator, not to breathe the radiator, but to bleed the radiator. <laughs> no, I cannot you don't breathe a radiator and you bleed it. Uh, deal, man. Yeah. Uh, Ruben grabs his hand and won't let go. Grabs his hand. And he's trying to take it back. And Ruben is like got a maniacal grip on this thing and he won't let go because Otto told him he was gonna kill himself yeah and so he is literally holding him into life like no i won't let you go i'm gonna hold on to your hand 
And uh, and this is like Ruben who staged a coup and who hasn't they haven't been friends in years and da da da, da who's like protesting against his attempt to take his life. This is his protest. And then when he when the guy die, like the guy uh, falls into the train and he pulls him out right and he's gonna stand and let himself get run over and Sonia says like take my hand and then the man in the flannel and the vest is yelling at him from the you know from the platform take my hand right and he has to reach out and like let himself be pulled back up and like pulled back into life and all these things like at a certain point when the cat is there the first night the cat spends the night the cat like tentatively puts one paw in his hand you know <laughs> and like in his open hand like all of these things it's like they kind of overdid it a little bit but it's they really hammered it home. <laughs> this is a literature major for you. <laughs> the theme of the hand. It is, though. It's a little bit heavy-handed, but... <laughs> like, <laughs> Jeez. But it's also very clear, right? That Very clear. Very clear. <laughs> very fucking clear. Yeah, and and it's it's this thing that he and then like you know he's in the hospital and like Marisol like takes his hand you know like it's this this very simple very small sign of tenderness but it's it's the thing he misses most mm-hmm. is that someone will come alongside and live life with him right not ask him to get rid of anything. Not ask him to, um, to stop wanting so much, but will come alongside and live life with him. Right, at the opening scene of his retirement party, oh. right at his job, and they're like, "Remember, Otto, you chose to retire," and he's like, "You cut my hours. <laughs> you know, you put this guy who I trained as my supervisor. He couldn't tell you what year it is without his phone." <laughs> <laughs> right. All of these things. Like, basically, you forced me to dislike this situation so that I would choose to retire. Because what it is, is, like, they don't allow him to be free, to be who he is, and to live life the way Otto is as a person until he's so miserable that, yeah, he has no choice but to say, I'm done with this. And this is what the opposite of what he encounters with these people, mm-hmm. right? Who they don't remove these things from him. Yeah, yeah. They add. They like add to. They add color to his life, and in this way, he sees that he's in color, instead of like backing him into a corner. When he babysits. Oh my god. I. <laughs> When they go into the kitchen and they're like making that, I don't see chocolate milk. You have to make it. And then he looks over and he's like, what's that? And she's like, that's the goddamn useless dishwasher. (laughs) Dad says he wants to throw it out the window. But mom says he's not allowed to open windows anymore. (laughs) (laughs) And you can just see him. He's like, that checks out. (laughs) (laughs) And you're like, yep, that's going to be fixed by the time they're ready to come home. Yeah. And then, like, sitting there with reading the book that's, like, teaching in Spanish, and she's like, ojos, ojos. 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 Good. Brazos. Brazos. Good. (laughs) And then she pulls out the luchadores, and he's like, I don't think this is a good idea. Why not? Because nobody stands a chance against the Abuelo Luchadores. And it's just like, it's so freaking adorable. And like I said, he's still himself. Like he's still sitting there in his sweater vest with his reading glasses on the chain around his neck. And like, I love. He's still awkward, but yeah, his life is in full color. And he's not quite sure what to do with it or make of it. But he's living. Yeah. I am curious because, like, you said... Well, you've heard from two people who said they haven't liked this movie. Yeah! And I haven't. I haven't heard those opinions yet. 
So I'm curious to hear those. Yeah. Okay. So Kevin said that, which I think it's because Kevin's also a curmudgeon. Well, but the same kind of curmudgeon, like really fabulous, but also thinks he's a curmudgeon. Um, and he's like, yeah, like the, he's like, I usually love Tom Hanks. I love everything that he's in. Da, 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 da. But like, it was just, he goes, I just, I didn't believe it. I was like, you didn't believe it? (laughs) (laughs) You got being grumpy too wrong. Yeah. And, uh, but he did say, he's like, but I'm open to the fact that maybe I like decided on the beginning and then like had this fortress built and like wouldn't back down. He goes, so maybe. Um, But then Father Mike, I was listening to a homily that he gave and he was basically saying that it was like the most depressing movie ever because he's trying to kill himself and i'm like ma you missed it like <laughs> you love depressing movies i know i know I, okay when you told me that he didn't like it i assumed that it was because it like all ends in a nice little bow at the end no was like, it was oh, the whole premise he that like he it. didn't like it was the i don't okay. and i was like dude you're usually the guy who's like to put this in the best possible way, all about the suicides. <laughs> How very Walker Percy of you. Exactly. Exactly. Like, it is. It's a Walker Percy, like, embodiment. How great is the is the person, like, the, the man who never contemplates suicide goes through living life all of, like, in gray. The man who decides, who, like, wants to commit suicide, doesn't, and then wakes up the next morning and like looks out his front door has the whole world in front of him that's exactly the this fact thing but the only thing that keeps him from committing suicide is the fact that he knows he can commit suicide right <laughs> and this is and maybe Otto doesn't know because material failures and things and he's like <laughs> really Which giving it his I best I just effort. can't believe this is actually the life update he gives his wife at the grave like <laughs> you can't even buy proper hardware anymore Nothing works when you're at home. <laughs> yeah, nothing works when you're not home. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Which is what he says. So when you read the book, this is the only thing I'll say about the book. Um, sorry, I have to. Uh, when you read the book, the whole first chapter, you do not know that she's dead. Mm. Because he goes through and he has like, in quotes, him talking to his wife. You know, he said to his wife, blah, blah, blah. And then it... I feel like, if I remember correctly, he continues to say this thing of, like, nothing works when you're not at home. Um, And then, like, at the end, you realize, like, he goes to the grave and says this, like, nothing works when you're at home. And Mm. you're like, oh, shit. (laughs) Oh, man. But I had already seen the movie, so I kind of knew. Yeah, that hits hard, though. Whereas in the movie, you watch it, and he, like, wakes up in the bed. By himself, and the side next to him is completely made pristine, and yeah. there's the like the th- blanket throw over top of the cover, the cover. So you're obviously like, this was her side. It's totally preserved, you know. A, well, just like the jacket on the hook, you know. Side note, um, it kills me when he says the thing about like, oh yeah, her books she would read. I'm not into books, whatever. You're like, oh my gosh, every time someone says I'm not into books, I'm like, oh. Yeah, fairies but, are dying. Okay, I get it. Yeah. <laughs> fairies are dying. Somebody clap. <laughs> Just snorted. Um, but then, like, the scene where she, the flashback where she's carrying in all the books, she's like, we're running out of shelf space. And he's like, well, how many more books do you have? And she says it. And he's like, well, I'll just buy you, I'll just build you more shelves. I was like, okay. There we go. That's that's the husband we want. <laughs> that's the husband for us. Care to be reads. He'll just build more bookshelves. That's fine. No questions asked. Yeah. <laughs> Take note. <laughs> Agreed. Agreed. Yeah, because as and that's the thing. Like as delighted. Like he's got it wrong. He, it's not that she was the light and he was the day, like he was the night and she was in color and he was black and white. She was as delighted with him, if not more, than he was with her. Right. Like when at the end of her, his graduation, she goes, let's see it. Right. She like reads his diploma. She was just there. Everybody who's walking around in a goofy looking gown just got this <laughs> diploma. Right. But she wants to like read it. And, like, see his name on the page. And 
you know, she is so proud of him when he says, I ate at home so that you could have whatever you want. Like, she's the one who, like, you know, lays one on him, right? She, like, like she, she and that's another, him. that's another moment. He's embarrassed. He's going to leave. And she grabs his hand, heavy handed. She grabs his hand and, like, plants one on him in the middle of this mm-hmm. restaurant and everybody cheers, right? Like, she's not going to let him get away with thinking that he's not good enough. Right. She's super enamored with him and, like, so delighted. So it's not just that he's standing in the shadow of her son. Like, she feels the same way. So for our next podcast, we're going to do a Tom Hanks doubleheader. And we're going to do a beginning of the career, end of the career sort of bookends with... A league of their own. Heck yes, there's no crying in baseball. <laughs> Even if you haven't seen the movie, you should know the quote by now. So we didn't spoil the hell out of that one. <laughs> yeah, and you've had like three decades to watch it. So if you've never seen it, get on with it. <laughs> so watch the movie. Um, it's a bit of a throwback, like she said. But so, which we don't usually do. We like to usually pick new movies. However, this is one that I actually only saw for the first time last year, and Carrie and I have only had one conversation about it. So we would love to be able to really have a more in-depth conversation on podcast and share that with you all. So watch the movie and join us because we will spoil the hell out of it as we do. Thank you for joining. Ciao.